Welcome to the Tech.eu podcast, where we discuss some of the most interesting stories in European tech today. I'm your host, Dan Taylor. Let's do this. Well, all right, all right, all right. You have found it. This is the Tech.eu podcast. I am your host, Dan Taylor, and we are the droids you're looking for. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is episode, my God, it's episode 303. Now, to the beat heads out there, that number should be instantly recognizable. For the rest of you, go and Google the Roland 303. It was a fundamental piece of gear in the development of electronic dance music. But unfortunately, I'm not talking to Richie Houghton today, but I've almost given it away, but this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, Being an expat myself, having lived in five countries over the past two and a half decades, uh, I know firsthand how stifling bureaucracy can be and just how terrifying applying for a work visa can be as well. And as she mentions in her TED at Monterey talk, one that's been translated into, count them, 12 languages, and I quote, According to the World Economic Forum, human capital is the driving force for economic growth. So why are the barriers to global mobility so high? A question I'd love to know the answer to. Hopefully we'll have an answer to that by the end of the show. Just to set the stage, her company, Jobatical, they aid companies like N26, Travel Park, and Personio relocate talent from around the world and get these brilliant minds up and running as fast as possible. The company recently closed an 11.6 million euro Series A round that was led by Nordic VC InVenture and saw the participation of Union Square Ventures, Swiss Post Ventures, Karma VC, Jan Tallinn's MetaPlanet, and Devotion Ventures, to name a few. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by... Fun fact, Estonia's youngest ever patent registrar and Jobatical founder, Karoli Hendricks. Welcome to the show. Absolutely delighted to be here. Looking forward to our discussion. How was the intro? Did I cover everything? Super good. Super good? Well, I'll tell you what, folks, I'm, I, I, that, that, was a, that was a bit of a puff piece because when I looked at your CV, well, let's save that for later <laughs> because you have a CV almost as varied as Frank Sinatra's. Right, you've been a pop, a poet, a pupper, a poet, a <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. This woman has been everywhere and done everything. Let's uh, let's talk about Jabatical. This is your company. It was founded in 2014, and in 2018, the company earned a place on Forbes' list of Europe's 10 most exciting SMEs. However, Jabatical didn't really start out that way. Correct me if I'm wrong, and if not, or if so, how what's what's the timeline here? Explain it to me. What's going on? Yes. So um, um, first of all, as I said, delighted to be here. And I think it's um, so. As a startup founder, you know, you are you have this vision of a problem that you want to solve. So for me, it started from from when I was in Singularity University in Silicon Valley, doing my morning runs, and I started to think how we could replicate Silicon Valley. So like this one place on earth is creating companies that are changing industries, right? How come? And I started to look into it and I saw that it's not that people are just born smarter there, it's that people who are smart circle the globe to move there and then help to build those companies. Mm, So coming from a tiny country like Estonia, I started to think, what do we need to do to inspire those people to circle the globe to the far-flung cities of the world like Tallinn or Helsinki or Hamburg or Madrid? So my initial thesis for that was that in order to basically do that knowledge transfer, 
we need to create a marketplace for inspiring jobs. So we started as a cross-border recruitment platform, which is basically, we heard users sitting down, pouring a glass of wine and dreaming where they could work, like tropical <laughs> island, German Alps. So, 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 so that's how we started. But what we learned, and as a, again, like you're, you're building this company that you're trying to prove a thesis and what we learned, thanks to our clients, was that their biggest problem in international hiring was not actually the hiring piece. It was mm. actually getting people into the country. So we actually had people mm. hired through our recruitment platform from 53 countries to 37 countries. But those people needed to get into the country. So our clients started to request, could you help them to get into the country? So it became mm. initially like a side business. And, mm. you know, as... Again, uh, as a startup, you want to be a painkiller, not a vitamin. And at mm. one point, we saw that where we are a painkiller is not the core business. It's actually the side business. It's getting people into the country where we actually are solving the biggest problem for our clients. And we made a super bold move. I mean, looking back, it's easy to talk about it because now we, you know, <laughs> all the numbers are great. And, you know, it worked out well. But like that moment, imagine sitting there in front of your board and saying that we are going to throw away 8 million euros uh, and four years of work. It's like, yeah, like a standard <laughs> Tuesday for me, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a very, very big decision. Basically, um, um, I told the team back then that, you know, that we, everybody like in my management team saw that there's something in that immigration relocation, like it's growing much faster than the core business. Uh, um, just like first two quarters of 2019, um, 93% uh, of our uh, cost base was in the recruitment, but 40% of our revenues in that. Like it was just no brainer in terms of numbers, but everybody thought like, let's do both, but let's put more, mm. a little bit more. But uh, my message to the team was that if we do both, like we cannot drag along something that's not working. So yeah, we just yeah. basically put that aside and started to build technology around this um, uh pain point that we saw that our clients had and um, three years later we're here and it has worked out really well despite of the pandemics and um, everything so yeah yeah i mean as i was once told many many years ago a great piece of advice you can be good at a lot of things but you can be great at one thing exactly and i mean in many ways it's like uh, again painkiller versus vitamin you know you can be a vitamin and our previous we call it tubatical Oh, uh, 1.0 uh, was a vitamin. Like people liked it. I mean, we got to War Forbes, chose us as the one, you know, among the sexiest and most uh, uh, prospective uh, companies, tech companies, uh, SMEs in Europe. So we kind of we got the attention, but it didn't really like nobody died if we didn't exist. But now what? <laughs> you know, but now what we're seeing is that really what the problem that we're solving is really something that is painful. So mm. so you want mm. to be a painkiller, um, not a vitamin when you're building um, a startup. Well, let's be fair. Putting the word "sexy" and "recruitment" in the same sentence—I mean that—that's a—that's a game changer right there, right? So, um, Caroli, talk to me now. I. Ha <laughs> Touchy subject a bit for me. I had an Estonian e-residency. Mm. Uh, the pandemic basically crushed the business that that was, so I no longer need it. But I'm familiar with the whole e-residency thing. I'm looking at, you know, I'm doing my research. I'm looking at, so when did the e-residency? Oh, the e-residency launched on the 1st of December 2014. Huh, Jobatica launches mid-2014. Huh. So what? what's the, how much, you know, mm -hmm. there's got to be a connection here. What is it? 
and then the funniest connection, there are two connections. Actually, one, one of the um, fun pa- uh, parts is that we actually launched Radical end of, uh, so basically November uh, 2014. We, I registered the company mid-year, but we actually launched. So basically it was oh, almost right. back to back to, uh, to uh, e-residency. The connection, the connection is that I remember when um, uh, Davi Gotka, who's the founding father or the godfather of e-residency, invited me to uh, a lunch and asked me if I want to take uh, uh, and lead e-residency. And I said, no, because I, I'm starting to build Giovanni. <laughs> so. yeah, that, that's, that's a soup I don't want to touch. Thank you. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, so basically, uh, so that was the connection. I really have been the fan of e-residency from, from when Tavi first talked about it. And I think it's the, uh, it's the most the greatest innovation of governance uh, uh, um, of our I think not only decade, but of our century. Mm. Uh, there is no direct connection besides that, but I think there's some, there, the connection there is Estonia, that I think in general, if you look at the Estonian tech landscape, like you, you have the most unicorns per, cap, per capita in Europe, right? And, and the reason for that, I think in many ways, and that's like the small market uh, pain, and that's also what actually helps us or kicks our butt is that Estonia is such a small market that all the founders really think globally from day one. Mm. And I think in that sense, it's also such a small country that you kind of think that, you know, e-residency, you cannot make that many babies. So let's think of how to scale a country <laughs> otherwise, right? <laughs> so, so I think it's like the, the fact that we are pushed into really thinking globally from day one is kind of what is connecting all that ecosystem and the success of the ecosystem. Mm, mm, right, right. Well, I'd argue it's almost in your your DNA, uh, because again, during the research, I discovered that Estonia was the first country in the world in 2005 to offer its citizens the right, or the, yeah, I guess it's a right to vote online. Absolutely. Yeah, technology, yeah. It's, it's in your blood. And, and I did watch one of your talks, and I know when you're born, which actually ruins one of my <laughs> later questions. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking to a real millennial here uh, from one Gen Xer, yes. <laughs> barely Gen Xer, to a millennial. Well, listen, let's back up or move forward. I'm not, I'm not sure. Let's, let's go vertical, shall we? Um, borders and borders, right? So, what are some of the you see all kinds of people and jobs and movements and 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 mm-hmm. governments and bureaucracy every day? What are the most pressing issues facing digital mm-hmm. nomads today? Mm-hmm. I think that one of the uh, in terms of digital nomads. By the way, that brings you the another fun fact where Estonia was first. So if you're Uh-oh. looking around this uh, table, well, you can't uh, see it at home, folks. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a it's a room so full of TVs and. So yeah. the, basically, this is our office and this is one of our meeting rooms. And in a this meeting okay. room was the meeting of the world's first digital nomad visa uh, uh, ever. So we wow. helped to create it. was actually our idea that we uh, then managed to launch together with the Estonian government. Was the, and, and, and I think it's still like in terms of the relevancies. So why we created this first visa was that uh, what we started to see, and that was Jabatica 1.0 we had a huge com- community of digital nomads in our network and we started to see that there's no policy that is actually na- enabling them to legally work wherever they want to work so mm. usually basically what usually you went to a country and uh, you either get uh, somebody employs you so it's a local employer or you're there as a tourist or you marry someone right so as a digital nomad, you have also an option to marry. But like if you marry someone I knew in every six months, it's kind of not scalable, right? So... <laughs> I was just going to say, or you do what I do, which is watch the calendar every 180 days. 
go somewhere else for a little while. Yeah. Well, I did that for a while. I'm legal. I'm legal here in the UK. Anybody listening? I'm legal. <laughs> but but that's the thing. And and so we started that there's they started to see there's a policy hole. And we uh, decided to approach so Estonian government to see, like, uh, how about uh, actually filling that hole and creating a policy. And they, and uh, in 2020, Estonian parliament approved it. And now you have seen a lot of other countries are following. And that was our basically dream that if we do do that with one country, then uh, then others will follow because the thing and now it's even more relevant than because today, you know, we could on our platform, you can get all sorts of visas with much faster automated way. But if this mm. policy doesn't support it, if it doesn't exist, we cannot create the policy, right? So the countries right. still have to uh, create. So I think in, in many ways, the comparison that I would bring is like, imagine now, let's go back a century and then, you know, you had the first car and imagine now a situation where you have all those cars driving around, but there are no roads. It's like Northern England. <laughs> you have all the cars driving around, but there are no roads because the framework has not been created by by the uh, you know the government, right? Sure. And I think that's that's a lot what the digital nomad uh, community is seeing that for years people have worked like that. Now more and more employees of big corporations are are able to work like that. That's what we are seeing also post pandemic. People are demanding more flexibility because everybody knows they can actually do their work remotely and they mm. still have those dreams but if the governments are not really so if the taxation still thinks that everybody will just sit still for the next 50 years in one place or mm. or like all the or retirement uh, funds or like how how if, if the framework assumes that we are still working like we worked 50 years ago then you cannot really navigate there legally right. so you have right. to find all those like shady ways of living your life right so so i think the biggest problem for digital nomads to date and it's not today i, I think what we're seeing more and more as we work with big companies it's not a digital nomad problem anymore only because mm. it used to be and maybe you also had more flexibility to go around because you were not let's say working for um like facebook right <laughs> but now if you, you yeah. facebook facebook has like five thousand people working kind of legally legally yeah it creates mm -hmm. a lot of uh, legal problems so but the thing is that if there's no legal way of doing it so it's like no you cannot do it even though everybody in the company knows that work-wise you could right. do it but it's right. just policy doesn't support it so i think what my kind of call to action here is is that countries and governance really needs to step up in terms of speed and really uh, accommodating the new ways of working because everybody else is ready and already already living and working like that just that yeah. the countries are too slow yeah we're, we're we're already there do you know what between you and me right who who are who are the toughest countries to work with who are, who are the real assholes who are they <laughs> come on tell me i know you know yeah i mean i mean to be honest i think um a lot of countries are a lot have a lot to do still. So it's just a, bl a blanket license, but I, yeah. I, but I, I do think that I, I also want to. I mean, there are some countries who have really are again, like if we look at the landscape right now, and I think here the countries who are slow, they will be the losers because everybody's fighting for the same talent. Like the talent shortage is so big so mm -hmm. painful that today uh, so everybody will be fighting for the same talent and if you don't change you will fall behind i think uh, the, if you look in terms of immigration wise i think us definitely is one of the um, uh, big uh, <laughs> my people mm. 
in terms of problem child that I think it's so funny to think back about the success of a country which has I mean is founded by immigrants it's all mm-hmm. about immigrants and today's so if I look at for example even in countries like Germany yeah. who are making a lot of efforts to figure out how to simplify things how to make uh, it efficient how to attract uh, the right to talent so are really having uh, and then when I look at what's happening in U.S. or how hard it is to get people in, whereas we know that the whole success of the country was based on people getting in fast, then right. I think this is uh, one of the things that, um, so if, I, if you ask me, I would say that one of the toughest definitely is uh, <laughs> the U.S., uh, but there are others. I mean, uh, we, we we are not yet in Japan, but I'm a little bit like familiar with how things work. And mm. one of the countries that is estimated to actually has a danger of going extinct because that's how fast the country is aging. Right. At the same time, the whole process of getting in is, is super hard. So so I think there's a lot of countries that need to, to uh, work. Uh, um, if you ask me, one, I would say that I think U.S. could do so much better. Uh, how many countries do you work with? So right now we are, so when we talk about countries where we work with, it means where we can get people in, right? So right. we can get people right. from all over the world uh, to these countries. So all together we cover 21 now. 21 countries. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. we all know how bureaucracy works. We all know mm-hmm. how many, for, I mean, ger- boy, the Germans, they love their forms and their stamps, don't they? This is a massive amount of data that you're dealing with here. Talk to me. I want, I want to talk about the tech. Mm-hmm. Like, what is mm-hmm. power? How does mm-hmm. this all work? I mean, this is a huge mm-hmm. database. How did you put this all together? And at the site, there's a heavy AI-driven, mm-hmm. right? So what mm-hmm. part is, is AI doing mm-hmm. in all of this? Yes. So how? let's start from a question. How did I do it? Yes. You know what, Dan? Uh, I started as an entrepreneur uh, when I was 16, right? And one of the things it has given me is uh, 20 years of making time to make mistakes and learn from it. So I have become <laughs> so good at hiring that mm. it is like truly my my co-founder, my management team, my team. Like I, I think today we have such a... So it, it is the brains behind me uh, who did it. And uh, so when we talk about, let's say, Germany, German mm. forms. So uh, we... What we are doing is we are gradually automating anything that can be automated. So, for example, forms. In Germany, it took up to nine hours to manually fill forms. And can you imagine how many mistakes that you can do when you manually do it? So, I lived in Germany. <laughs> I know all about the form. <laughs> Nein, das ist nicht korrekt. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> now imagine that when you go on our platform, it's click button, all the forms are filled. I'm sorry, you, you said what? Click one button and all the forms <laughs> yeah, are filled. All forms are filled. Everything is filled. Get so out basically, of here. No, but the way. So basically, what we do is that the way we are gathering. So we are gathering uh, over it was almost five hundred data points from each individual, right? This those data points we then match to all those forms. We ask those data points only once, and then our smart system basically. Uh, generates all those forms automatically that were previously uh, done. By, or filled by few, uh, humans. And mm-hmm. what it actually did, what is interesting also, is that since machines do much less mistakes than humans, right. then it also means that our applications are, so, so we have such a high accuracy that we are our applications are not sent back, which means that our applications will be prioritized by the government mm-hmm. because they know that the quality is higher. So it's like the spirals of imp- improving the whole process. But basically we have automated everything from from, when a case comes in, let's say you are moving from 
you mentioned uh, uh, Germany, you're moving from America to Germany, uh, the, your information is put on our platform. And then when before it was an immigration uh, uh, lawyer who made a decision which track of immigration you will go in our system, mm -hmm. in our main countries already, we have a, uh, our platform is making that decision. So it's a system telling that this is what this person needs. So we don't need an expert looking at your data points and making a decision. So all those uh, uh, process steps we are automating so that basically for us, the human behind the platform is becoming more and more like a support who's there for you if something, you know, if you need still something, but but more and more it is it is the system actually making those decisions uh, that especially the ones that require just so basically, it's the same thing that uh, anything that a machine can do, repetitive tasks like filling forms, right? Uh, yeah. We are uh, putting that those tasks on the machine um, table. And, and the creative part where we actually need human brain support, uh, that's where what we leave to, to uh, humans. Well, as a big fan of creative immigration myself, I'm all behind that. And as a, well, as I mentioned, as a person who's filled out nine hours, was it nine? Did I, it felt like 900 hours filling out those <laughs> forms. I want to talk a bit more about this, but we do have to take a sponsorship message. But what that means at the TechEU podcast is that it's now time for the lightning round. Now, before we went on air, I gave you a brief overview of the lightning round. This is where we get to know you, Caroli, as a human being and not you as a company. Caroli Hendricks of Jobatical, are you ready? I am so ready. All right, here we go with the TechEU lightning round with Caroli Hendricks. Question number one, window or aisle? Window. Soundgarden, Rage Against the Machine, or Audio Slave? Audio Slave. Knowing that you don't eat bread, what was the best sandwich? What was tuna? Love tuna sandwich. What is the one thing that you own that you should really throw out? Hmm. I had this um, meditation gadget. How many languages do you speak and what are they? So Estonian, obviously, English, German, Russian, and Spanish. And, Caroli Hendricks, the last question on the lightning round before we cut to a break. Are you or are you not related to Jimi Hendrix? For the purposes of this podcast, please say yes. Absolutely, I'm. She is related to Jimi <laughs> Hendrix, ladies and gentlemen. There we have it. I'm here with Caroli Hendricks from Jobatical. Stick with us. We'll be right back. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are your customers are too. Talk to us at podcast at tech.eu. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining me, and I know you're not, I'm here with Caroli Hendricks from Jobatical. We were talking about, God, what were we talking about? We're talking about everything, where Jobatical came for, who the jerks in immigration are, hint the U.S., and <laughs> what part AI plays in all of this with over what, 500, 500 data points per person. Yeah. And what used to take nine hours now takes one click of a button. Caroli. You've had a career path almost as varied as my own. I once was a United States postal worker, believe it or not. I really? delivered the mail. Yeah, you don't have that one on your resume, do you? But I've sold newspapers, though. But that, yeah. <laughs> ooh, I sold newspapers, too. 
up at 4 a.m. every day. See, I've had a long and sullied career in in media. But for our listeners at home, let me just let me just give them a, a brief reading here, shall I? Ready? So, so the woman who is the CEO at Jabatical, she has also been a journalist reporting on the 2001 presidential election. That must have been fun. A politician, and I have in my notes, at what age? PR and marketing, and the youngest, you ready for this? CEO of MTV Estonia, hence the audio slave question there. I really thought you'd, you'd get that. Okay, good choice. Candidate for European Parliament, regional manager Baltic's Fox International Channels. We'll try not to hold that against you. CMO at Newsspin. What have I missed? Have you have you done uh, have you how how are your electrical skills have you can you wire a house as well or no but I I, I was a cabaret dancer as well so like uh, probably probably uh, probably would uh, beat any uh, founder in the world uh, in Can Can well slush is coming up <laughs> <laughs> I might hold you to that where do you go from CMO at Newspin to Jabatical, and I mean, you grew up behind the, the the Iron Curtain, right? I mean, who are your mentors and influences? Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to me here. Tell me the story. So, in terms, of, I think it's uh, too bad as I've never had like a straightforward dream of uh, you know when I grew up uh, dream. But for me, the most influential thing was definitely when I was sixteen, and um, when I became basically we had to do a student company. Then I was chosen to be the president, which was like such a surprise and the inspiration. And then we brainstormed and I had the idea, which basically made me the youngest inventor in Estonia. Uh, and uh, and what I think there are two things. First of all, in terms of what it taught me was that at 16, I saw that I'm, I'm from I'm this girl from a small town in Eastern Europe, like in a random school, I mean, not elite school at all, as as far from elite as possible, that I can actually create an idea that changes people's lives. You know, it felt so big mm. that it kind of made me, in a way, addicted to making a difference. It's just, uh, I, I realized I can. And uh, if you ask me who are my biggest influencers, then, yeah. um, and this, uh, <clears throat> so basically when I went home with my idea at the age of 16, I never forget, like my father could have told me that forget about your silly ideas, mm. study, you know, you're just a girl in Parno, uh, go and um, basically do your homework. But instead, he told me that uh, that's such a great idea. Why don't you go to the patent office? And honestly, I had no idea what a patent office was, but I just saw that he liked my idea. So I went to the patent office and then all of that uh, you know, things, uh, it turned out it was unique and all, and now I'm sitting here talking to you, right? But this was such a game changer. And Sorry it, about it, that. It, just, <laughs> it taught me that, um, and I think that's something that um, I think we don't realize how much power we have to make a difference. And I'm so mm. thankful I got that learning at the age of 16. Uh, so, I mean, yes, I have done a lot of things. If you ask me, are there learnings from it? Definitely. Mm. I kind of mm. said yes to everything. So you shouldn't mm. say yes to everything. So, uh, um, but, but, uh, but I think this, this, the foundation of that came from, from, from that moment where I realized that I can make a difference, even though I don't have a PhD, I don't have a lot of money. Um, but I just have the belief of my father that this is uh, uh, something special. 
Wow. I am one of the world's biggest cynics, but I, and I'm saying this without any cynicism. That is genuinely heartwarming. Caroli, if I'm a 16-year-old listening to this podcast, I should probably turn this off and go listening to something better. But if I'm a 16-year-old listening to this show, mm -hmm. what is one learning that you want to say to them right now? Mm, but can I say three or actually one? <sighs> <laughs> we're, run we're running out of tape here. You know, I don't know. All right. All right. I'll give you three. I'll go get a coffee, okay, a cup of okay, coffee. I'll okay. come back. Okay. So in terms of, so if I have to choose one, I must say that it's probably something that you would not expect, but like, uh, um, I would say that uh, really, if you learn to love yourself, then everything is possible because I, uh, so there, so if I choose three, then it's definitely self-love, like, getting to the moment where you can do all those amazing things. And I did a lot of amazing things. I did it also in a place where I wasn't there, where mm -hmm. I, where, where I was proving to the world, proving to myself something that uh, was not maybe always healthy, but if you get to a place of self-love and then the realization, and the second thing I would say is that the world is so much smaller than you think, and mm -hmm. you are so much bigger and you and more powerful than you think so if you put those two together you can literally do anything um and i think that's something that uh, i'm very very thankful that my past uh, uh, 20 years have taught me and the third thing which i already mentioned is that learn to say no um mm. uh, because at one point when i was doing my reflector company i became so famous so fast and then everybody wanted to have coffee with me uh, invite <laughs> me to, to speak uh, and at one point i i discovered that i was just talking more about building a company than actually building a company. So I, I call mm. my first company as my Harvard. Uh, but but so really learn to say no, because you get a lot of distractions. The more you, you grow, I see that also, the more your business grows, the more you start to get distractions. If you're not able to filter it, it's very hard to find that success. Words of advice. Well, listen, before we go, because we are running out of time, I like to keep things reasonably short and sweet here. The burning question, I, I opened up with it. We've talked about it, but you haven't told us what, what did you patent at age 16? Yes. So I actually have several patents after that. But um, my first idea was basically, um, I mean, it was October in Northern Europe. So it was very dark when we mm. had the brainstorm. So I had the idea of, of creating like a traffic accessory, accessory, uh, traffic safety accessory that it was also fashionable. So I looked at those all those ugly reflectors that people had to wear those plastic ones, uh, so the cars would see you. And then I thought like I would want to, I don't want to wear them, and I probably the others don't want to wear them. So why don't? So I used the fabric that was used on the sports clothing, and mm -hmm. created. Uh, uh, um, we created those like very cute accessories that during the daytime looked cute you know mm -hmm, 16 year olds mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. sure, and then yeah, during yeah, yeah. <laughs> during night time 16 they... i like looking cute i'm, I'm <laughs> age i don't mind looking bad yeah, and safe yeah. Yeah. so uh, and one of the things that i think one to think about innovation is that very often we complicate things usually innovation is just putting together two existing things so there was a reflector, there was the fabric, and you put together and you create something new. So there's a lot of ideas. And I, I think ideas, I really like how Steve Blank, I once um, remember uh, in Silicon Valley, was listening to his uh, talk and he said that, you know, ide ideas don't mean a thing. Even my dog has ideas, but it's the execution. So end of the day, we all have millions of ideas. It's, it's when you sit down and start to execute them. Uh, so uh, put those two things together and you can do amazing things. Again, 
another round of words of advice. We are out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been joined today by Caroli Hendricks from Jobbatical. If you're moving anywhere or you're a company that needs to move people somewhere, you need to go visit these guys. I was thoroughly impressed. That's all the time we have for today. My name is Dan Taylor. Yours is not. And I am out of here.